Hey everyone, welcome back to the Leadership Locker. It's Rich Cardona. Look, aspiring entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs, seasoned entrepreneurs who think they know it all, this is the place for you because I have influencers and industry experts who are just gonna make sure they hook us up with the best possible knowledge in all facets of entrepreneurship in a how-to kind of fashion so that way we can excel, okay? Just get over the five ways to whatever or the 10 steps towards a million dollars. Like there's not enough steps, okay? There's not enough steps and that's why this podcast exists. Uh, so today I have a guest. I usually, I sometimes do narrative ones, uh, just me. And then I also have guests. And this guest in particular is someone I discovered probably back in November, the same time I discovered Andy Frisella. And the reason I discovered him is because he was a co-host of the MFCEO project. And the reason I discovered that podcast in November, even though it had been around and then completed essentially, was because I was working with Echelon Front and I uh, was down in Austin, Texas, doing some film work with JP Donnell. Okay, follow him on Insta if you haven't already. And, you know, we were talking about the podcast. He's like, dude, you got to have Andy Frisella on. I'm like, who's Andy Frisella? So I started listening. And... I fell in love with the podcast right away. This was when um, I remember very vividly because I was going to Planet Fitness here in North Carolina because they had some kind of temporary hours because of COVID and everything. And I was like, okay, bet, let's do this. So I started listening to it. And at first I was like, I don't know if I'm going to listen to another episode. And then I kept listening and listening and then Kill It Every Day, which is one of the best podcasts they've ever done, was on there. But the real thing was Andy was who he is. He's the MFCEO, big personality, <laughs> big opinions, big everything. Okay. And I think arguably at the time he was a big dude too. Now he's just jacked, but he was big. But his co-host, his co-host is my guest today, Vaughn Kohler. Now Vaughn, dude, you can listen to him and be like, this dude is unsuspecting kind of, uh, I, you know, I always kind of imagined a guy with, uh, you know, a V-neck sweater, a button-up shirt underneath that, and a tie around it, and just kind of like maybe almost Mr. Rogers-esque because he was on a completely different, a parallel wavelength than Andy, okay? He was a former pastor. He guided the conversations. He, he, (laughs) I mean, he just brought a lot of balance to it, and it's really, really freaking hard, in my opinion, to do that in a podcast, which is why I don't have a co-host. It's super, super difficult. So that being said, I started listing all the people I've, uh, I heard at, that were guests on the MFCEO project until it dawned on me when I was going to St. Louis to interview Andy. I'm like, why don't I try and get Vaughn on as well? So I reached out to Vaughn, totally down. I also read his book during uh, my first attempt at 75 Hard. Uh, which is Sacred Drive, which was fantastic. Actually, I believe that was the first book I read, as a matter of fact. So why am I having this guy on? Why am I having Vaughn Kohler on? What could he possibly give us entrepreneurs? Well, number one, he's now an entrepreneur. He's not working, you know, with the MFCEO project. I mean, he works with the podcast, Real AF, but he is now a coach and consultant for entrepreneurs, business owners, etc. But he's got the spiritual piece. And this is a piece that we all kind of just ignore, don't have time for, aren't sure if it works. So his entire book is about tapping into your God-given potential. So why not? Why not explore this? Because this is something I certainly haven't explored 
and my faith, my beliefs, and all that when it comes to entrepreneurship is, is kind of scattered all over the place. And you know what? Even if you don't believe specifically in a certain being or person or religion, you definitely have to have faith in order to make it in this shit. So Vaughn and I are going to talk. I really hope you enjoy what he's got to say. This is a long intro, but it was important to make sure that you capture why I have some of these guests on because I don't want to have the same people on. I can't have all big personalities on. I have to have people who break it down in a different way for us because we need to be lifelong learners. And that's exactly why Vaughn came on. He's an amazing, amazing individual. We've kept in touch afterwards and we're going to get to the show right now. So Vaughn, it's so funny. We were just warming up and you were talking about having peace. Well, this, it sounds like this is gonna be a morbid start, but my friend right here, Ryan, he's the first friend in the Marine Corps I ever had pass away. He was in combat and Ryan was the life of the party, just super fun to be around, just outgoing and pleasant and helpful and all these things. And after he passed away, I found out all these things about him in his eulogy. And it was that he was a cancer survivor. I'm like, what the, what? Like, I didn't even know. But what I found out more than anything was that he was extremely religious. I'm like, I was just in Vegas with him. Like, he didn't seem religious to me. But everyone was talking about how he convinced so many people, you know, to you know, give themselves to Jesus and all these other things. And I, and I went to lunch with a friend and I'm just like, I just never knew. He never pushed it on me or anything like that. But he was always just in such a good place. And they're like, he was at complete peace with himself. And I was just, I never really thought about it like that. And it turns out when the, the accident happened, it was during a takeoff. And he made an input that saved the other pilot. Like they both, and it was just like, I'm not surprised. So anyway, that's a very long roundabout way of getting to a place where, um, you know, really dipping into a place of peace is probably really important in entrepreneurship because it's a shit show 99.9% .9 of the time. So how do you guide people with your experience in helping them tap into their faith or spirituality or whatever they believe in to kind of have that peace to persevere? That's an excellent question. And I would say that right now I've got 12 co coaching clients and they run the spectrum from really no church background, no spiritual background, but someone who's open to having a faith to someone who's a devout Catholic or a devout Protestant or someone who's like spent their whole life in church. So it's a, it's a whole spectrum. And my experience is that regardless of where people are at in their personal religious you know, activity or walk, they are generally open to certain basic spiritual principles, okay? So, you know, you look at the newspaper articles and the surveys and the studies, and it says that the vast majority of the human beings on this planet actually believe that things happen for a reason, okay? So I kind of start with that, and I said, okay, there's certain basic principles that you have to embrace in order for you to have, you know, daily peace. And the first one is that you gotta tr just trust that things happen for a reason. You have to believe that there is a higher power that is up there orchestrating things in, not in sort of a robotic way, sure. like we're all just a bunch of, you know, machines, but someone or something beyond us is watching over all of us and making sure that it all uh, works out for the good. And I always tell the story, and, and, and because it's, it's emotional to me and, sure. and, and meaningful to me, it also tends to be emotional to other people. Because, you know, human beings, we just naturally transfer our emotion and our enthusiasm. But the story that I often tell people to, to kind of in, encourage them to take the right attitude, 
as I tell them that, you know, my dad died a couple years ago from carcinoid cancer, but when he was alive, he was this virtuoso pianist. I mean, he, in um, college, he was a piano performance major, and he was a music minister his whole life. He sold big church organs, Steinway pianos. So the dude knew how to play the piano, okay? He also knew how to play the organ, but most people liked him best on the piano. So did I. Well, when I was five years old, of course, just like most kids who whose uh, parents are musicians, I took piano lessons. I wasn't great, and I didn't really continue with it. I uh, wish I had, because it would have come in handy. I think women like musicians. <laughs> but, um, but when I was five years old, I, would, I was basically uh, having a piano recital, and it was a big recital. There's a big concert hall, 400 people, 500 people in the room, and I was supposed to do a duet with my dad. And so we sat down at this big grand piano, and he's right next to me, and I'm sweating bullets. I'm nervous. And in front of all these people, I look at my virtuoso dad with the piano performance degree and everything. And I go, are you sure you can do this? <laughs> you know, and of course, everybody bursts into laughter at the irony of this five-year-old kid asking his lifelong musician father if he could handle this little, you know, one-note ditty, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb or whatever. And my dad just looked at me, you know, and just said, no, I, I think we got this. And Rich, what I, what I tell people is at that point, I then started playing that one note, you know, that, that one line melody. I think it was Mary Had a Little Lamb or it could have been, I don't know, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And it was literally just one note at a time. I, I wasn't even playing chords. I wasn't even playing any sort of actual complex uh, progression. It was literally just one note. But then at that point, my dad put his hands on the, on the keyboard and he started playing this flourish of notes that just transformed the whole thing into this beautiful piece of music. Uh, so much so that I do remember people, you know, giving us a little bit of a, uh, a pretty great round of applause. Yeah. I don't know if there was a standing ovation. I probably wouldn't remember <laughs> that. But the way that, the reason I always tell that story is that I say, you know, we have to believe as entrepreneurs that all of the, these different factors, all of this, these different dynamics that go, that go into success, there are a lot of those things that truly are beyond our control. Now, as your friend and mine, Andy Frisella says, we have to make sure that we control the things we can control. But the reality is, is entrepreneurship is chaos. Very often, building a business, scaling it to nine figures is chaos. And if we think we are the person that has to play all the notes and put it all together into this beautiful piece of music, we are going to go insane. And so I try to explain to people, listen, there is a God who looks at you and says, listen, just play your one note and then play the next note and the next note and the next note. Do what you need to do at that moment. And sometimes you're going to play the wrong note. Sometimes you're going to play the note too fast. Sometimes you're going to play the note too slow. But you have to trust that there is a God who comes alongside you and plays all the other notes and is going to make sure that, you know, that, that it produces beautiful music. And so that's one of the things we key in a lot is just trusting you do your thing faithfully. You do your thing consistently and trust that God is going to create something amazing out of it. Now, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this. In one of the beginnings of the chapters, and just five minutes ago when we were warming up, you mentioned one of your favorite movies ever, which is The Karate Kid. And yes. There's a part where you talk about how uh, John Kreese is... Uh, you know, there and Mr. Miyagi comes in and he's like, this is a dojo, not a knitting class. And yeah. you say the world is a dojo. Now, what you were just talking about and how I understand it as well a little bit as someone who's in it and you as someone who's in it is the fact that when you're in it, you see everything that's going wrong. But what about the people who are not yet in the dojo before they are an entrepreneur? 
what can they do in terms of having expectation management to realize that oh. it is a dojo out there and that like they are going to probably need to have that comprehension of that spiritual thing that's going to help them along. Okay. We're talking about it. Gotcha. We're in it. It's easy for us to know it's already a mess. Well, I, you know, I think that if I understand you correctly, I mean, part of this is you, they're just going to have to learn. You know, they're going to have to get their, their hands dirty and they're, they're going to have to get in the trenches and they're going to have to find out that obviously there is a significant difference between being literally in battle and having to deal with the chaos of battle and all the different things that are beyond your control and, and the casualties and the pain and the stress. But, I mean, in a very real way, that's what entrepreneurship is like. And, and just as no one truly understands what war is like until you experience it, that's what's going to happen with entrepreneurship is you're going to look at all of the the people that you see that look successful and they're driving around their Lamborghinis and they've got their their amazing, you know, facilities like First Form here and you're going to get these, you know, bright eyes and think, "Oh, wow, that's just just wonderful." And you're not going to realize that in order to get to that, you're going to have to slog through some painstaking, mind-numbingly frustrating uh experiences. And I think just like most things, I don't know that you can even prepare yourself. You're just going to have to dig in and do it. And I think that's why I'm asking, and I, and I probably didn't phrase it the best. And, and the reason I say that is because it's so easy, I think, for someone like me or someone who might have been successful to be like, well, if they can do it. And I once interviewed a gentleman who goes, suppose you don't know how to swim, but you've been in the Marine Corps or whatever, and you know you have the most ridiculous work ethic there is. That work ethic doesn't mean anything if they drop you off in the middle of the ocean. Right. And I was like, no shit. (laughs) So I think it's really important to discuss that kind of expectation management, and and that's why I wanted to ask that. Well, I think a good assumption is that nothing is going to be easy. I I really think I think that that you know we talked about in in the uh, MFCO project podcast way back. We talked about battleground mentality, Mm -hmm. and battleground mentality is no good soldier goes into a battle thinking this is going to be a piece of cake. And I think, obviously, in entrepreneurship, if, you, if you're going into it thinking this is a piece of cake, you are going to be sadly, sadly mistaken. Same thing, is, same thing frank, frankly, even in the spiritual life. I think people think the spiritual life is, you know, lighting candles and, and burning incense and just, you know, saying these mantras. And it's just super easy to get close to God. No, it's not. It's a battle. Now, the more you do it and the more you consistently do it, you, you get better at prayer and you get better at you know, daily walking with God and, and feeling close to Him in the midst of life's ups and downs. But everything in life is a battle. Everything in life, this world is a battleground. It's not a playground. And you know, I would say I even succumbed to that a little bit in that in the last year when I, you know, when I wrote my book, when I offered the, you know, the coaching, my thought was, well, you know, Andy scaled a, a business to nine figures. But man, he scaled a nutritional supplement company. Like you had to build, you had to build buildings and you had to have employees and all this stuff. And in my mind, I'm going, I'm just gonna run a little consultant, consultancy. Like, how hard could this be? I had no idea the little hiccups and the little daily and weekly challenges that you face, even if you're just running a little, a little consultant group. I mean, you know. And so it's like anybody trying to do anything great, you're just gonna have to have the, the assumption. This is going to be hard. But I will tell you just a short little anecdote. I remember years ago when my brother, my older brother, got married for the first time. Well, he's only been married once. So, okay, so he got married. And about a year into it, we went off. We were just having some brother uh, visit somewhere, I don't know, some trip somewhere. And I said, so how's, 
so how's married life? He looked at me, he goes, marriage is hard. And I kind of was bummed. And I said, oh, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. And he looks at me, he goes, hey, I didn't say it was bad. I said it was hard. There's a difference between hard and bad. And that's what I would tell people who's, who are trying to really be successful in, in any area of life. Hard doesn't mean bad. Hard can actually produce a lot of satisfaction. It can do, produce a lot of joy. Um, it can produce a lot of peace. It's not, the, it's not synonymous with bad, but people need to understand that it's still hard. So we were just talking this morning about how the majority of your life could be unsuccessful, you know, but that makes the successful parts like unbelievable. And just because you were unsuccessful doesn't necessarily mean you failed, right? There's a huge difference. So I'm, I'm really, that completely resonates with me. Now, part of your book talks about, you know, obvi- well, the majority of the book is all about tapping into your God-given potential. And there's a, a part, and I don't want to be rude and go thumb through the book right now, but where we look at it, where, where you articulate how important it is to take advantage of any gifts that you're actually given. Like, it's actually almost sinful, I think, yeah. to, to not tap into that. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, I, I just posted this on, uh, on social media. Uh, there's a movie that came out in the 80s, and it came out of nowhere, but it ended up being a blockbuster movie. And it's not The Karate Kid. Yeah, no, what I, is love, it? I love The Karate Kid. I'm an 80s but movie it's, guy. But it's a, it's, a, it's a movie that was a blockbuster in the 80s, and I literally just got around to watching it, even though I had listened to the music my whole life, but I just got around to watching yes. it. And it was called Chariots of Fire. Yes. And the, the movie Chariots of Fire, if, if our audience has not listened to it, guys, you, you gotta read, you gotta watch the movie. Okay. It's it's a little different. It's not like an action shoot 'em up type of thing. But the whole premise is that there's two people. Uh, it's like early 1900s. I think it's just shortly after World War One, and it takes place in England. And there are these two runners. One of them is Harold Abrams. And he's a Jewish guy who basically has a chip on his shoulder because of the anti-Semitism against him. And so he wants to be the best possible runner he can be and win. But the other guy is Eric Liddell, or I, I think it's Little. I'm mm-hmm. not sure ex- exactly. But he was a Scott runner, uh, and he was, uh, he was a Scottish guy. And he, they both perf- uh, competed in the Olympics. And this guy was a devout Christian, so much so that when the Olympic event that was scheduled fell on a Sunday, he's like, my conscience doesn't let me run on a Sunday, okay? So they, it worked out to the, where they were able to move the event for him, but basically he was a very, very uh, strong Christian believer. And at one point in the movie, his sister, who's the super, super strict Presbyterian, is kind of giving him a hard time for spending all this time with running when really God called you to the mission field. God called you to go to China, which he agreed. God did call him to go to China. But what he said was, he said, you know, God has a mission for me to go to China and I'm gonna fulfill that mission. But he says, God has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And if I neglect that gift that he has given, that is an offense and a sacrilege. And then he says something, which I just think is awesome. He says, to win is to honor him. And I was like, dang, there's no better way to say that. To win is to honor him. And so what I'm saying in that book is that when God gives us gifts, I mean, Christian theology teaches that human beings are bodies and souls together. We're not just bodies. We're not just souls. So, yes, it is important to pray. It is important to love and serve people and to do sort of, quote, unquote, religious things, like go to church. But he also gave us minds and bodies and wills and talents. And those are all gifts that we are supposed to use for his glory and the good of the world. 
And if we use those gifts in the way that he intended us to, very often that will result in some sort of financial success. I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that says, if you love God, he's going to make you wealthy. That's baloney, okay? But the reality is, is that if we follow his principles and we become who he wants us to be, we'll just take off. We'll bloom, we'll flourish, and everything we touch will we'll have some quality of excellence and success to it. And I think that, that he gets glorified and we, we enjoy our life. I mean, it's a win-win. There's two exits off this highway that I want to take. Yeah. And one is, what happens when what you're called to do changes or when you feel that it changes. And you're a perfect example. Yeah. You were a pastor. You yeah. are no longer a pastor, but you're still obviously heavily immersed in the community. Yeah. Like, how do you make amends with that when you're like, holy shit, I'm actually supposed to be doing this? How do you even know the decision to make there? Well, I think, so what I've learned in my life is that in 1993, when I was in a, a pulpit communication class at Wheaton College, it was a Christian liberal arts college. It wasn't a Bible college, but it was just a a liberal arts college where that was Christian. I took a class called Pulpit Communications in which I was supposed to put together sermons and deliver them. And when I did that, it was kind of similar to Eric Liddell. I thought, I feel, I feel the good pleasure of God when I do this. I think this is what I'm meant to do. And so I said, okay, I must be called to go into the ministry. So I went to seminary, was a pastor for 10 years. All of a sudden, 2011, things changed. Things I'd never expected. I didn't leave the church for any sort of scandalous reasons. There were just a variety of things that made me go a different direction. So I ended up becoming like a marketing development uh, guy for Benedictine College. And then after that, my wife and I moved to St. Louis and I was the editor of a magazine. And then I was, you know, for a very, very brief period of time, I was a water purification salesman, uh, system salesman. And then was it you know, brief because you were bad at it? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, yeah, no, it was brief. It was brief because I went through the whole training, start the first week, and then was offered a job as an edit, the editor of a magazine. And the reality is, is then I then I met Andy, and all of a sudden life got surreal. I'm becoming a, a you know a co-host of a of a massively popular podcast. I'm a point man for his personal brand. I'm doing all sorts of things, and you know now my quote unquote day job, even though it's really more part of my consultancy is uh, I'm a development director for St. Isidore's Catholic Student Center. So my <laughs> career has changed so many times, and one could say, oh, well, it seems like your calling has changed. And the answer is no. My calling has always remained the same. God has put some basic gifts in my life and, 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 and passions on my heart that really have been consistent from the time I was a pastor until now. The context has changed. Mm -hmm. And so my, my encouragement to everybody is to say, you probably do have a core calling in life. You probably do have a set of gifts that God has given you. You probably do have a set of concerns or passions that God has given you. And I don't think those passions at their core are ever going to change. But what I want to tell people is give God the liberty, because it's, you know, he's God, he can do it. Give God the, the permission to let your calling change context. The calling remains this, the same, but the context, it, it can change. And I think, I think to me that's, you know, there's a phrase that we use one time in an MFCO project episode, and I forget which episode it was, but it talked about how the way to be successful is to be as relentless as a freight train, but as adaptable as a, uh, as a uh, what do you call it, the beach, one of those things that go on the beaches, uh, sand, you know, uh, what am I trying to think of? Uh -huh. Dune buggy, thank you, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, exactly, so be relentless as a freight train, but be adaptable as a dune buggy. Yeah. And so that's what I would say with when it comes to calling and context. 
you can be relentless in your calling. Relentless is a freight train, willful, resolute, intentional. But you have to realize that at some point, God may take you off into other paths. That's why be flexible and, and adaptable as a dune buggy. This is unbelievably relevant and important because even if you're not seeking to be an entrepreneur as a veteran or someone transitioning, the fear of looking like you're job jumping after you've discovered very quickly that this isn't for me, like the transition takes years. I'm still transitioning. I've been retired for five years, but it's a legitimate fear. It's like, oh, I got an offer letter. I'm staying. I'm good. But that's incredibly relevant, everything you're saying, because if you're at peace with yourself and knowing that the calling is the same, but the context is different, then that might alleviate some of that concern about how you might be perceived on the outside as some fucked up veteran or whoever who's having issues. Right. Well, and I would also say, especially, especially to anybody who's listening who's younger, older people who are well-meaning, okay, they have a tendency to really screw up young people about this because when you're a young person and you're trying to figure out what you're doing in life, you might, you know, let's say you're 18 and you try a career for like nine months and you're like, ah, oh, it's not for me. And then you go to do something else. Nah, it's not for me. And then you do something else. And now oh, that's not for me. A lot of times older people can be really hard on you and they say, ah, stop bouncing around. Just commit to something. And really at any age, we can be, we can be susceptible to that. But what I would say is, There is a difference between bouncing and exploring. Mm -hmm. If you are bouncing around because you tried something and it was hard and you just didn't want to work hard, and then you went to the next thing and that was hard and you didn't want to work hard, that's bouncing around, that's bad. But if you're in the process of discerning what you're meant to do with your life, then you should feel complete freedom exploring Mm -hmm. because you're going to figure out, in fact, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're just staying with something because out of some sort of weird notion of, oh, I got to be loyal and I got to be consistent and follow through. No, you don't. If you do something for a little bit of time and you say, you know what, knowing who I am and my gifts and my skills and what I'm all about, this is not serving me anymore. It's totally fine to to go to the next thing. That, That It all depends on why you're leaving. I think I listened to a podcast with Brene Brown and and Simon Sinek, and she said, if my children tell me they want to go to college, I'll happily pay, but under one condition. If they come to me and say, Mom, I'm going because I'm going to be, you know, a CMO one day. She's like, well, then you'll have to pay for yourself. Mm -hmm. If they have no idea what they're doing, I'll be happy to pay for college. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, that's really, that's like, I've never heard that before in my life. That was not what I was expecting. Yeah, Yeah. me either. So I was like, okay. Hey, everyone, taking a quick break because here's the deal. Vaughn is never on camera. Vaughn doesn't do many podcasts. He has a newsletter. And he has his business, but personal brand wise, I'm not sure he's even remotely aware of how great he can extend his tentacles, so to speak, if he was all over his own personal brand, because he is a type of person that can leverage it in the best of ways, because he's easy to trust, he's easy to like, and you want to get to know him. So for people like Vaughn, who don't even know where to begin necessarily with that. I have a personal branding guide, which costs less than two old fashions. My old favorite drink, so 29 bucks. This guide is a take action guide, it's 21 pages, all my knowledge, and it is designed to help you just kind of ignite something. Okay, if you don't know where to begin, this is exactly what will help you determine what you wanna talk about, where you wanna talk about it, why branding, your personal brand is important all that good stuff. So it'll be in the show notes. 
or you can just email me and we'll get you the link, info at richcardonamedia.com. Back to the show. There is something I disagreed with you with. I'm not a religious person, but I not I disagreed. I'd love to explore. And I believe it's about, and forgive my, I don't even know how to say it. You're the, totally the fine. The tithe? Tithe. Uh, tithe. Like, tithe. Tithe, yeah. We're talking about how Jesus looked more fondly upon the people who didn't have anything, I think, this is what you're saying, and again, this might be out of context, because they, they, they had to sacrifice so much, even just to kind of give anything. And I have in here a note, I have to find it, where essentially, if you're rich and you did contribute, it's, it's not that meaningful. And I wrote in here, and I was like, I have to ask Vaughn this, because the poor people, so to speak, sacrifice in order to, uh, to give, but the rich people sacrifice in order to build that wealth. And that's what I wanted to kind of get uh, get around yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. You know, do you know what I'm saying? And that's, yeah. that's relevant here yeah. because Andy's like, the more you make, the more you can help. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I want to explore that. Yeah. So one thing to keep in mind that is that when Jesus teaches parables, when he uses parables, uh, the whole point of a parable is to drive home one main point. Jesus is not attempting to give a whole philosophical approach to like money or uh, how you conduct your life. A parable always has just one main point. And so in the parable of the widow, the whole point of that is simply that we are meant to push ourselves. We are meant to, to give or serve or offer ourselves in some way that that involves sacrifice. And so that's what that's what Jesus was really emphasizing with the point is that this widow gave her all. And she what she had little, but she gave all of what she gave. And so when Jesus contrasts that with the the wealthy people of the day, yes. he wasn't saying that in and of themselves they were they were somehow losers because they weren't giving, you know, all of their wealth. Yes. He was literally saying that in that context, those people, you know, it'll be it'd be like a billionaire who, you know, when the plate is passed, puts five bucks in. You know, I mean, Jesus was saying like, what you're capable of, you're you're falling way short of. And so, what Jesus is, and the emphasis is that Jesus is much more concerned, not by how much you have, but what your attitude is toward what you have. I see. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, and so that, that, that's why I was applying it to in the chapter where I talked about putting in more is that when I use the example, um, and you know, you have to read the, the a book to get the whole uh, context, but I, I told the story basically of being on a mission trip years ago. And there was a kid on the mission trip who had all sorts of developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. And yet he was someone who, according to his pastor, just worked hard to overcome those developmental disabilities uh, mentally and physically and make the most of his life. And I remember that hitting me at the time because, I mean, grades have always come pretty easy to me. And uh, doing well in school and learning things have always come pretty easy to me. And I remember just being kind of hit hard by the fact, I'm like, you know what? I am not putting in the effort to get more out of my brain, to get more out of my mind, to get more out of my, my, uh, my intellect and everything that God has given me. And so it hit me that this kid with all these, you know, mental struggles was really more honoring to God than I was because he was making the most of what he had been given. Whereas I was like kind of being half-assed about <laughs> the gifts that God had given me. Does that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. So I think it, it would be a mistake to get to focus on that parable. It would be a mistake to focus on the amount of money as much as the attitude of the heart and the actions of someone who's, like I said, doing their best to be a good steward of the, the money that God has given them. 
we'll probably have a couple more questions. I want to talk about, I know the story, obviously, you just told about where you were and how you ended up here. And it was an interview. And then it turned into just all these different things. And then video turned into a podcast and it exploded. Um, And it all seems incredibly serendipitous. And it sounds like just obviously a great deal for both of you. Since then, you've sat in however many hundred episodes, co-hosted, seen entrepreneurs, listened to, you know, one of the best entrepreneurs out there. And I, this sounds like such a loaded question, but I, I, I feel like you might have something. Like, what is something that is unmistakably consistent across all these kind of successful entrepreneurs that is something a young entrepreneur needs to hear? Oh, uh, it's the quote that I included in the book. Um, and it's the success of these entrepreneurs really at the end of the day is not owing to their natural intelligence or their skills or their talents. It is owing to the fact that every single day they identify critical tasks that they needed to do to push forward. And by the end of the day, they did them. Simple. I mean, Andy says it all the time, do the work, get the results. Mm -hmm. And so, I I mean, that is absolutely, in fact, to be honest with you, and I'll just be straight forward about this. I've been sometimes shocked when I've met some of these really amazing, like crazy amounts of money, crazy amounts of success and going, I am probably 16 times smarter than these people are. And yet that's on me because these are people who are just relentlessly working every day to, to move forward. And, and when I say relentlessly working, I think, you know, there's a whole spectrum where some of them were like literally working themselves to the bone um, and exhausting themselves. And I do think that there's a place for that, mm-hmm. but, but more than anything, it, it wasn't so much that they were, you know, workaholics and that they were, you know, killing themselves because they were never taking time to rest or be with their family. No, it was that every day they consistently planned out their day. They said, I need to do X, Y, Z in order to move forward toward my goals. And no matter what, by the end of the day, I'm going to do that. And I mean, it's so funny because everybody wants the secret sauce. Everybody wants the, this, this formula only known to an elite few. And Andy's right. It's about completing your critical tasks every day. <laughs> there's, been many, there's been so many episodes. Yeah, there's been yeah. so many episodes where you're like, there's, no, there's nothing, there's not a yeah. paywall. Like this is, we're telling you everything there is. Yeah. You're just 99% I, of you I, don't I, want can to. I, can I be real honest with Please. you? Just even in my own life, okay? And I'm an open book when, when it comes to this. For like two or three years, literally the last two or three years, people have said, been saying to me, Vaughn, you've been on the podcast for five or six years. You've learned so much from Andy. You have a lot to offer yourself you need to, you know, do some coaching yourself. You need to maybe have a little virtual community or online yep, yep. study. All these things they've been telling me. And consistently for the last two or three years, I'm like, oh yeah, but I, I haven't perfected the the ability to to write a co- you know copy, a good copy to a marketing email. <laughs> All these excuses of why I wasn't better at certain things. And I was waiting for that moment where all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Now I can really write an amazing mark. You know better. That's crazy to me. I know. That's crazy to me. And yet I finally, <laughs> I went to this deep funk like about a year ago after finishing my book, really. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why do I feel so bad? And what I realized is that I'm not doing what I want to do, which is to work one-on-one with people, to inspire people in, in groups. And so I literally that day, it was like Saturday. I literally sent out on my newsletter. I literally pounded out that that email in five minutes. It was it was rough, unpolished. It, it was by no means the greatest marketing email. And within a day, I had forty seven people saying, "Yeah, I want to work with you." 
Because it wasn't a marketing email. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 but, but since then, I have literally been telling myself, enough with the perfectionism. It's yeah. totally fine to want to want to have you know high standards. We should want high standards. But I would tell anybody, just do it. Just identify a critical task to move you forward. It's not going to be perfect. The more you do it, the better you'll get. Put your best foot forward and just start taking action. And you will see results. There's no question. I mean... Again, I don't say this. I say this as an encouragement to people, not as a brag. In the last three months, I've doubled my income. And anybody can do it. You yeah. just have to execute. So the book is called Sacred Drive. If anyone's going to get it, it's available on Amazon. They can go to vonkohler.com. If someone is interested after listening to this podcast, which I hope they are by this point already, in getting the book, what can you tell them um, they're going to find in the pages of this book? Yeah. So what I've been telling people is that, you know, ever since I worked with Andy and um, we started the MSCO project in 2015, right from the beginning, I didn't ask him to do this, but right from the beginning, he started calling me the pastor of disaster. You know, he likes to give me these, you know, Vaughn the Impaler, all these different nicknames. And what's really funny is that here you have this like rough around the edges, cuss is like a sailor, nine-figure entrepreneur. We talk about self-development and yet the MFCO project and Real AF has always had a, a, a segment of the audience that's very spiritual. And again, it runs the gamut. It's just sort of broadly spiritual, open-minded to you know energy and the universe, all the way to specific professing Christians. And almost right from the beginning, I had people say to me, you know what? I'm a Christian, but man, I feel guilty because I'm driven and I'm ambitious and I'm, I'm wanting to crush my goals and create a lot of wealth. And, and is that okay? And what I always tell them is I said, you know, there's sinful ambition. There's ambition that's just about yourself and self-promotion. But this book is ha about holy ambition. It's about ambition that is really good and honoring to God, not just, not just to, that results in your own personal gain, but that results in God's glory and the good of the world. And what I say is regardless of whether anybody, you know, where anybody finds themselves on that spectrum, what my book is I take down basic biblical principles, basic spiritual principles that if you understand, will help promote your potential, will help you become the person you're meant to be uh, as God wanted you to be, however you understand God, okay? Yep. I'll use that, that term from AA, you know, <laughs> God, God as you understand him, right? And so what I would say specifically, you know, I, I think for, for people who have some background in, in the church and, and, and are professing Christians, this book is going to give you some very, very good food for thought on here are the biblical principles that will help me pursue my God-given potential. But even if you're not, you can approach this book and go, oh, you know what? That's, I, I can apply that. I don't have to be like part of established religion. I can apply that and I can become who I'm meant to be. And hopefully in the process, they will not only understand who they are better, but ho hopefully have a better understanding of God and the way that God works. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the show. And everyone, you'll see in the show notes where you could find Vaughn. And thanks a lot, Vaughn. You bet. Thank you, Rich. All right, everyone. Entrepreneurship is, it, it feels like such an individual sport, but it's a team sport. So if you enjoyed this, absolutely positively, please share it, pass it on with someone else. Okay, pass it on to someone uh, who can use it. Look at some of the other episodes that we've done on negotiating, on storytelling, on resilience, on attributes, on, on so many different aspects of entrepreneurship. Please share it with them. And if you've been listening and have not yet taken the time to leave a review, dude, come on. That's the stuff that keeps us going. Okay, that's the stuff that keeps this podcast continuing to blow up. Last but not least, thank you 
thank you thank you for your support this is a dream come true for me having a podcast with engaged listeners with value being exchanged and um i appreciate you guys see you next time